Um, first, if you look in your family news booth, and there's a little flyer in there for Mason Serves. Um, that is something that has been birthed that of Grace Chapel. One of our members started that um, has a real passion to serve the community here. We've been doing it for a few years, and it's really people from all over the community. It's not just Grace Chapel. But this year, we've got a lot of people in our community who need help. Um, I think we have more people signed up for help than we've ever had before, and we want to make sure we have enough people there to serve. So if you want to mark your calendars um, for Mason Service, just mark your calendars. The flyer is in here. Take it home with you. Put it on the, you know, your refrigerator there. Maybe bring your whole family. And if you can't be there for the entire thing, you can be there for a couple hours. That's totally fine. There's just a lot of need uh, this time around, and we want to make sure we're meeting as many needs as possible. Uh, also, an update on our facility over here. We're pretty much finished with most of the work. Uh, we are waiting on Mason um, to get the approval for a few other things. You know, they're, they're bigger things, but uh, hopefully this week, if they give us the approval, we'll be able to put down the, um, the turf floor and also the netting. And after the turf floor and the netting go down, there's a few other little things that need to happen around the facility, but it's, it's pretty much finished. So if you just pray that uh, everything goes smoothly this week, we're able to put the turf down. We really need to be in there if we can. I'm shooting for the, you know, November 9th or mid-November. I'm not sure if that's going to be, I'm not in charge of that any longer. It's really Mason giving us approval. And there's always little things. I'm not picking on Mason. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I'm just saying there's always little things here or there that the fire department or someone wants to see. So it always puts it off a little longer than we'd like it. Um, But we're getting there. I mean, it was exciting this past week. Um, Rodolfo and Becca from Mexico were here raising support for they're going to Mazalan. And uh, it's so cool to have one of our one of our kids. This this is the the guy who now I said kid. Um, He's uh, he speaks five languages. We talked about him before. Rodolfo, he was married, married uh, one of the American girls, uh, Becca, who we love to death. And now he's going to be leaving Monterey to go to Mazalan and be a missionary there to start a whole new uh, kind of chapter, if you will, of back-to-back in Mazalan. So it's really cool to see that happening. But uh, they were in there. We had some, a soccer team in there. And I'll tell you something. Uh, we had a lot of people who don't go to our church who were there for the missions kind of as they're raising support. And I was really proud to show those people around, even the back area where they could, you know, you don't have to be a visionary anymore to see what that's going to look like. The, the, you know, the roof is black, the walls are a nice gray, and we're going to put that green floor down. It's not hard to see what's going to be happening there. And they were excited. People from the outside of our church were excited to see it. So I was very, very, very proud of all the work that we've done. Um, and I want to just encourage you. I want to say this, you know, usually the end of the year, November, uh, end of November and December, there's the most giving in a church's, you know, yearly calendar. If you could think about it now, if it's possible for you to think about your year-end giving now and give sometime soon, you know, end of October, beginning of November, from a standpoint of just getting that facility finished, it would be really helpful for us, uh, for me personally. Because there's some things that still need to be done, you know, things you don't expect, like, oh, the electrician has to come out for another week and hook up the airflow system that Mason wants us to put in, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so the, the, the more money we have now, uh, it would be very, very helpful so we can just kind of plow through. Because we're going to finish it one way or the other. It's just a matter of how we figure it out. And it makes less stress for me if the money, the resources are there. If you're here for the first time, ignore it. I just said if you're not here for the first time, 
Let's go, baby. The uh, boxes are over here and, <laughs> and over here. So just be thinking about it, praying about it with your family. That'd just be helpful. I thought about this week. Maybe the year-end giving could be a little earlier than normal. That'd be great. All right. We're in a series called Jesus Help Me Understand, and we're going to talk about calling. And I was, I was reading through the scriptures the last couple of weeks. This is a verse that, that boy, I've, I've, this has struck me since I was a young Christian. It's in John chapter 6, and it's in verse 60, 60. It says, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? And you read that, and, you know, here's these people calling them their disciples. They say their disciples are following Jesus. In other words, he's their rabbi, and they're following him around. And, and uh, the reason they said that in verse 60 is because Jesus is not really, I'm not saying he's not a, crowd of, uh, a, fa- a fan of crowds, but it seems to me that every time you get a crowd, Jesus says something that's pretty straightforward in your face to thin the crowd out. And in verse 60, the reason they said that is because in the, the verses preceding it, um, in verse 52 and following, he's talking about drinking my blood and eating of my flesh, you know, what we call communion. And he's laying that all out, and he's not really explaining every little detail. And so these people are, like, they're following around going, yeah, heal someone else, you know, you know get some dirt on your fingers and wipe that in the guy's eyes. I want to see him, you know, get healed of blindness again. And Jesus turns around to this big crowd and says, uh, you know, talks about, you know, eating of his flesh and drinking of his blood and blah, blah, blah. And uh, kind of, I'm sure, it, well, it actually did. It says, you know, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Who can accept it? When I was at Nyack, my professor, and I've said this before, and I'm going to keep telling you guys this because it's important, but he said, what you win people with is what you win them to. What you win people with is what you win them to. And Jesus wanted people to be clear on what he was calling them to. What, he, what, what they were signing up for. Jesus wasn't, you know, he wasn't concerned about how many people, how many numbers and all that kind of thing. He wanted to make sure the people who were following him knew what they were signing up for. Because there are a lot of people who claim to follow Jesus as long as they follow him by their own rules. You know, as long as they're following him on their own terms. They've never really counted the cost. And they don't understand what, what biblical discipleship really means. They don't understand it. They don't understand what true biblical discipleship, the definition of it. They, you know, they kind of come along, but they're not really grasping it. And Jesus makes it clear throughout Scripture that just because you say you're a follower of Jesus doesn't mean you are. I can stand up here today and say, I am a, I'm a, I'm a, baseball, I'm a professional baseball player. And I'm as good as Albert Pujols, who hit three home runs last night. It was pretty amazing. Right? Now, I can say that all I want. But the proof is in the pudding. Okay, give me a bat and see how well I do against a you know, 95-mile-an-hour fastball. You can say what you want. And Jesus is saying, just because you claim to be my disciple, just because you claim to be my follower, just because you say it doesn't make it true. Doesn't make it true. And in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, he makes it absolutely clear. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? And didn't we drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, not that you were once saved and you lost your salvation. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's an exclamation point, isn't it? I never knew you. Well, Lord, I went to church and I did this and I did that. We did all kinds of things and I went on these trips. And 
I never knew you, which means to me, there's a lot of folks out there who think they're one thing, but they're not. And Jesus is, he wouldn't say something like this. He says, away from me. And he also makes it clear what it means to be a Christian in scripture. He's not, you know, you don't have to guess here when it comes to Jesus. A disciple is a true, a true disciple is a true follower of Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian, then you are a disciple. And if you're not a disciple as Jesus defines it, then you're not a Christian. Now, I can't judge who's a Christian, who's not a Christian. But what, what, this is, what Jesus is saying is if you're not a disciple as I define disciple, then you're not a Christian, a disciple and a Christian basically mean the same thing. It's like if I say my spouse or my wife, they're the same thing. A Christian and a disciple of Jesus Christ are the same thing. The term disciple is used 269 times in the New Testament. The term Christian is only used three times. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, we learn that the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So the first time that the, that the word Christian was used, you'll find in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, it says they were called Christians at Antioch. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to focus on what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. What does it mean for us in this room to be a true follower of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to live out God's call in our lives? Say, you know, what does it mean for God to call me? And how, what does that all mean? Well, I want to talk to you about what does it mean to live out God's call in our lives? In Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 27, it says this, back to the large crowds. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his, and you can't leave the room until we're kind of done here because I have to explain all this to you because you're like, what? If anyone, you can see how he thins out the crowds here. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Well, the first thing that we have to notice here is Jesus speaking these words again to his disciples who are in these large, people who are following him in these large crowds. So you have this large crowd of people following him around. And, and so he turns to them and he shares with them these words I just shared with you. Now you can see why, again, the crowd kind of thins out a little bit. Because every time he gets kind of a large group of people, he thins them out by saying something pretty challenging. If you want to follow me, hey, listen, all you people, I know you saw me heal people of blindness and raise people from the dead. And I mean, word is spreading. So every time Jesus comes to, hey, that guy, Jesus is coming, you know, and people wanted to be, you know, they wanted to be disciple of certain rabbis. And so who else to be a disciple of with a guy who's actually raising people from the dead and healing people of the blind? So these crowds would start to gather and Jesus would then turn around and say, hey, hey, everybody listening? If you don't drink of my blood, eat of my flesh, blah, blah, blah. Whoo, they <laughs> wait, wait a second. Now, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Bye. Right? And then he talks about, you know, if you don't hate your mother and father and brothers and sisters and blah, 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 um, you will not be my disciple. Same thing here in, is in John chapter 6. Jesus wasn't talking to people who didn't know him either. He wasn't talking to people who, who, who really who care less about what he had to say. These were people who considered themselves followers of Jesus Christ. They, they liked him. They were interested in what he was saying and his message. But the reality is they were only casual followers of Christ. They weren't committed followers of Jesus Christ. Like a lot of people today. Do you know that 76.5% of Americans would, would consider themselves Christian? They would, they would say they're Christians. 
That's a large crowd, don't you think? I mean, if Jesus were here and 76.5% of the American people were gathered in one place, which is probably, you know, whatever, Jesus could speak to them. That's a large crowd of people. These people were willing to follow Jesus, okay, providing the cost wasn't too high or the demands weren't too great. They were ready to follow him as long as the cost wasn't too high, as long as the demands weren't too great. They, they, they were like the 76.5% of the American people today who basically say, you know, I, I, you know I, I'm a Christian. They do, they, they do Christian things. They, if they get into trouble, they'll pray. You know, they'll say maybe a prayer before they eat once in a while. At Thanksgiving, at Thanksgiving, they'll, they'll do that. Um, and they'll, they'll sing Christian songs when it's appropriate. If you ask them what church you go to, I go to St. Whoever's or I go to something Baptist or I go to whatever. And that means that when they were growing up and they got baptized or whenever they went through a certain process, you know, that's the church they did it in. They don't really go there very often, but they associate with that. Since they're not Jewish and they're not Muslim, therefore they're Christians. And that is maybe, I'm not sure, I'm not going to give a statistic, but that's probably a decent amount of the 76.5% of the people that we're talking about. And so, so they, what, they, what they do is they, these people will follow Jesus as long as it doesn't cost them that much or as long as it's not too difficult. They'll sing their songs. You see, for many of these people, Jesus becomes like the, the rubbing the magic lamp. You know what I'm saying? You know, you, you're going through financial problems, rub the lamp. Oh, Lord, get me out of this or God, get me out of this. Or they have relationship problems or they have issues. They have health issues and they rub the lamp. And, and so they, they do all these things. And then what happens is if God doesn't respond, if Jesus doesn't respond to them fast enough, they... They quickly, they quickly kind of walk away. They quickly become disillusioned if God doesn't move fast enough for them or if their faith actually costs something, if it's a, if it's a sacrifice. If their faith, faith actually requires sacrifice, then all bets are off. They, kind of, you know, they quickly kind of walk away. They quickly become disillusioned. Now, I know this sermon is a tough sermon, okay? And next week is probably going to be tough as well, We're talking about Satan and hell, um, and I know this is a tough sermon, but you know what? This, it's good. It's healthy. It is really healthy for us as believers in Jesus Christ to, look, to walk through this. And individually, no one should be pointing at someone else saying, I know you're not whatever. The only person that can really judge your heart is you and God, okay? And so sermons like this are really healthy because they allow us to ask ourselves the question, am I a part of the crowd or am I one of the committed? And that's a healthy question to ask. All throughout Scripture, Old and New Testament, Moses sends out the twelve to spy out the promised land, right? Twelve leaders. These were leaders. He didn't go, oh, okay, uh, count off one, two, three, four. You know, he didn't. These were twelve leaders. Hey, twelve leaders of tribes, go out there. And ten of them were like, oh, these people are giants. We look like grasshoppers in their eyes. What are we going to do? Only two of them were the committed. The other ten were the crowd. So the question we have to ask ourselves this morning, are we a part of the crowd? Are we a part of the committed? That's what God wants to know. Jesus was challenging. The the words that he uses in verses 26 and 27 are challenging. And and he's saying to help us decide. He's explaining in clear terms what it means to be a disciple of his. If you want to follow me, if you're in the crowd and you want to follow me, I want to clearly communicate to every one of you what it means to be a follower of mine. In our hearts, we need to come before him. We need to be committed to him. Over he, his, he needs to be more important to, the, to us than anything else. 
That's what he's saying in verses 26 and 27. I need to be the most important thing in your life. I need to come before your love, your loved ones, your self-interests, your, 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 your sports, your activities, your job, your, whatever, your career, your, your goals, even your own life. I need to come before all of those things. That's what Jesus is saying to us here. I need to be first in your life. And you say, well, you know, God, that seems pretty selfish. You know, he wants to be first in my life. Let me throw a little practical application out here. When Jesus Christ is first in your life, everything else falls into place. When God is not first in your life, you wonder why your life is not going the way you want it to go. It's all shambles and you're frustrated, you're overwhelmed, you're stressed, you're tired, and all these things are happening to you. You don't understand why you keep making the same mistakes over and over. It's because Christ is not the center point of your life. And everything else revolves around him. When you take him off the throne and something else is placed on the throne, you have mayhem, bedlam in your life, confusion. You're still going to go through difficult things if you have a relationship with Christ, but he's going to be there with you to walk you through it, to give you clarity, to help you overcome it, to be strengthened by it. Your relationships will be strengthened. All these other areas of your life will be strengthened. It won't always work out exactly the way you plan, but God will walk, walk through it every step of the way. And he's saying, I need to be, I, I need to have that commitment from you. In verse 26, Jesus says that this commitment level applies to, it says, anyone who comes to me, anyone who comes to me, not just pastors, not just missionaries, anyone who chooses to come to me, this applies to you. Because what happens is in this secular sacred breakdown that we keep talking about, I'm going to keep talking about it too. In this secular sacred breakdown, the pastor and missionaries and people like that, they are in the, sec- in the sacred realm. The rest of you, okay, are in the secular realm because you go to a secular job every day. There's not, there, this, that is not biblical in the slightest, okay? Jesus never taught that. Plato taught that. Jesus never taught that. In G- what Jesus taught was there is sacred and there is sinful, If something's not sinful, then it is sacred. When you go to work every day, if you're not doing something sinful, then you are doing something sacred. You are worshiping God in every area of your life, everything that you do. Jesus isn't separating out the pastor and the missionary and everyone else. He's saying that everyone, it says every, anyone who comes to me, anyone who comes to me wants to be my disciple. This relates to you. It relates to all of us. To all of us, every bit of our lives belong. He wants it all. He wants, he wants it all from us. Jesus says, anyone who comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother and his wife and his children, his brothers and sisters, yet even his own life cannot be my disciple. Now, before we move on, we need to define the word hate. Because some people right now are going, wait, wait a second. This is, you know, I, I want to love God, but I don't want to hate my mother and my father and my sisters and my brothers and all these kind of people. I, I, I'm not signing up for that. That's, that, that hate here is not meant to be taken literally, okay? It's figurative. He's he's trying to express something. He's expressing a point. It's exaggeration. It's like when someone says, hey, you see that guy? He's as tall as a tree. He's not as tall as a tree. It's an exaggeration. In Jewish culture, the word hate often meant loving less. Now, sometimes it meant hate, okay? Hate sin kind of thing. Sometimes it meant hate. Other places, hate meant loving less. In this instance, obviously Jesus isn't telling us to hate the people closest to us when he tells us to love our enemies. 
Pray for those who persecute us. Jesus was all about love and compassion. Jesus wasn't telling you to hate the people closest to you. What he's saying is, I need to be, the number one commitment in your life needs to be me. Number one loyalty in your life needs to be me. I need, you need to love me more than anyone else. You need to love me more than any earthly relationship that you have. I need to be first in your life. Jesus is not talking about emotional feelings toward your family or, or toward him. That's not what he's talking about here. It's not about an emotional feeling. He's talking about a level of commitment. The, level, the, the highest level of commitment that any follower has is to Jesus Christ first. And again, practical application. If I love Jesus first, I love my, my wife more, not less. I love my husband, if you're a woman, more. I love my children more. I love my parents more. If you have a strong relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a deeper love for your parents. You even have a deeper love for your brothers and sisters, believe it or not. The closer you are to Jesus Christ, the more you love the people around you. And Jesus is saying, hey, you need to put me first. When you put me first, everything else falls into place. If something else is on the throne, you guys are going to have problems. Jesus needs to be our first priority. He needs to be first in our loyalties. And he doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop there. He says in verse 26, if you want to be my, one of my disciples... I need to be more important than even your own life. Even your own life. I need to be more important than life itself. Now, he's talking about physical lives here, our physical lives. That he needs to be more important than our own physical lives. But it goes, again, it goes beyond that. It goes to our personal desires, our, our, our self-image, who we, who we think we are, our priorities, and all things that, that matter to us most, our interests, even our own needs. Not just our wants, but our needs. Jesus Christ needs to be more important than what we need. That's what he's saying. That's the depth. The reality is this is not a hypothetical exercise here. This isn't a hypothetical exercise we're going through this morning. Jesus is saying, I need to be the most important thing in your life. If you want to be called a disciple of mine, I'm number one. So it's not a hypothetical exercise. If we choose to follow Jesus, it, may co- it will cost us, and it may cost us in a lot of different areas of our lives. For example, if you're a teenager and you say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ, it may cost you your friends or your popularity. And you're thinking to yourself, well, wait a second, it took me from fourth grade till now to get my popularity. You know, that, that, wait, wait, wait a second. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what he's saying to you is, he's not saying give up your popularity. What he's saying to you, that cannot be the most important thing in your life. I have to be the most important thing in your life. And you need to use your popularity to lead people into a relationship with me. You may be, it may be at work. It, he, you may have to sacrifice. It may cost you that promotion. They want you to do this, this, and this in order to get the promotion, but you know that goes against what God has taught you, and you know what is right, and so you choose not to do it, and it costs you the promotion. It may cost you your job. It may cost you your financial security. You're hanging on, you're holding on, and God's saying, you know, that's more important than me, and you know it is. And he may say to you, that's something that you need to let go. It may cost you a personal goal. You know, pastors have personal goals as well. And not all of them are according to God's will. And sometimes God looks into your own, your heart, my heart or whatever else and say, is this goal really for me or is it for you? This is something you may have to give up. I'm not calling you to do that. 
This is something that you have to give up. This isn't according to the will that I have for you. It's some, so we, there are costs that we all, we all must face. Jesus wants us to count the cost of our calling. That's the point. And verses 28 through 33 continues. Suppose you want to build a tower. So if one of you wants to build a tower, will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and he was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. There are two illustrations here, and Jesus is trying to make one important point. Two illustrations he lays out, one important point. Just like you don't start building something, we didn't go over to this building over here, the Grace Impact Center, without any, any reference to how much it would cost, and just get up here and say, hey, I have no idea what this is going to cost us. We haven't done any environmental reports or anything else, but let's work on it together. Just keep giving. No, we know what ba- basically around what it's going to cost us. There are always overruns and things we didn't expect, but we didn't go into it blindly. Just like you don't go into building a house. Hey, I'm going to build a 5,000 square foot house. Get to work, men. But you only have, you know, $120,000 or whatever. It's not, it's not going to happen. Just like you don't do that. And just like you don't go to war without considering the cost. If you go to war without considering the cost, it's going to, it's going, you're going to pay for it. Just like that, Jesus is saying, you don't go to and become a disciple of mine. It is necessary, if you are a disciple, to consider the cost of the commitment that you need to make. You need to consider the cost. You need to think through what it means to follow me. Jesus doesn't want people to make commitments to him without understanding the seriousness, without seriously thinking about what it involves to be called a follower of Jesus Christ. He wants you to think about that decision that we all need to make. Jesus, listen, he's not interested in thoughtless, blind half-hearted commitments. He's not interested in that. that. He is not interested in blind, half-hearted, thoughtless commitments that only desire happiness and blessing. You know, people say, well, if you become a Christian, if you become a Christian, all your problems are going to go away. Um, you know, if you become a Christian, God's never, never going to allow you to go through this. You're not going to have to face that. And so all these people start jumping on the train. What you win people with is what you win them to. So they jump on the train. And all of a sudden, the train starts making other stops at difficult land, at challenging ville. You know what I'm saying? And, you, you know, you're, 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 you're going through all kinds of challenging circumstances. You're, wait, 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 wait. I didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. Jesus is saying you need to count the cost. He's not looking for, for thoughtless, half-hearted, blind commitments. He, he's, not, he's not moved by crowds. He didn't want crowds without commitment. Listen, Jesus didn't go to the synagogue or the rabbi convention and walk around the rabbi convention going, Hey, hey, how many followers do you have? 
You know, we go to conventions where at work and the people in your job say they go to this convention. Well, how, how many how much sales did you do last year? Or, or, you know, how big is your church or how, how large is your youth group or how many of this did you do? So you go to this conference. Jesus wasn't walking around the conference going, hey, other rabbis, hey, rabbi, how many followers do you have? Uh, you know, 10 or 20, 10 or 20. I got crowds. I got crowds. He, wasn't, he didn't care about crowds without commitment. As a matter of fact, like I said, he dwindles every time he gets a crowd. It seems like he turns around and says something so outrageous, which is all true, that they're like, gee, <laughs> wait, a, wait a second. He, this is not fun anymore. He's not healing blind guys. He's talking about, holy moly. You know, and, they, and the crowd thins out. You know, I got I to gotta, I gotta go to lunch. I got to bury my father. I got to blah, 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 right? What does Jesus say? Let the dead bury their own dead. Just so you know, that, that the father wasn't dead yet in, the, in those cases. He could have been living for another 15 years. Like, yeah, I'll follow you after I bury my father who dies in 15 years. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. He wasn't concerned about those things. Let me ask you a couple questions. And I'm not going to answer them. I just want to ask them. Because I don't really know the answer. But I want to throw them out to you. How large do you think our churches would be in America if people really counted the cost of what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? How, how large would our churches be? Maybe they'd be larger. I'm being totally sincere. Maybe they'd be larger. I'm just asking a question. How large would they be if Jesus basically said that in order to be my follower, you need to give up this? It's, he's making, you have to make a choice between God, between me, and you fill in the blank. Your money, your sports, your blah, 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 whatever it is for you. I don't know what it is for you. But if you were forced to make the choice, how large would they be? And do, do you really think we would have the moral, and I am, I am asking this question with my own viewpoint, would you think we'd have the moral compromise of the discussions that we're having on social issues in the church today if we really understood what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do you really think we'd be getting into discussions right now? I, I don't. Maybe you do, but I don't. If you count the cost... You wouldn't have this. We, we have the wishy-washy conditions that we have sometimes in the church today because a lot of people just want to be a part of the crowd and they don't want to be a true disciple. This verse is really challenging. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. Here's what it says. Listen to what it says. Examine yourselves. I'm not going to examine you. You don't examine the person. Don't worry about it. Don't poke the person next to you. It says examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. I don't believe you can lose your salvation. But I do believe, though, a lot of people running around, like in Matthew chapter 7, who are going, Lord, Lord. And God will say, I never knew you. When I was a youth pastor, I used to preach a similar something like this. It wasn't this for sure, but it was something like this. Every, probably twice a year i pull these passages out and I would try to lay them out. And parents didn't like it at all. Because students would walk out going, you know, I asked Jesus to come into my life when I was three, which is totally fine. You got no issue, no issue with that whatsoever. But someone would say, I, I really, I'm not really sure. I've been, here's how I've been living. and I'm not, I'm not really sure where I stand with Christ. Parents didn't like that. They just wanted it all over with. But the students were kind of 
you know, asking themselves some difficult questions. I'm not sure where I stand. What would happen, though, is that student would truly either decide, yes, I am, and I need to start living that way, or no, I'm not, and I really need to come to the Lord and start living my life in a way that pleases him. Either way, you ended up with stronger people, not people who are going to stand before God and hear, I don't want anyone to ever be near me or anywhere around me is going to hear, Lord, Lord, and he says, I never, I never knew you. In verse 33, Jesus lightens up a little bit. Not. In the same way, any, uh, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Everything here means everything. If you're confused, you know, it's like some things don't mean exactly, you know, we were talking about hate, whatever. Everything here means everything. Everything means your time. Everything means your time, your talents, and your treasures. Everything. That's what he's saying. I want it all. Time, talents, and treasures. I said this about a year and a half ago, and some people kind of bristled by it, but I'm going to say it again, okay? Because the people who are bristled actually are now starting to live their lives in such a dynamic way that I think it's worthwhile. Do you really believe with your heart, think about this, that God gave you the gifts that he's given you, whether it's athletically or let's say your job? Do you really think God gave you all your talents and abilities, all those gifts, so that you can accumulate all this stuff for yourself? Do you think God, before the universe was created, do you think, and God knew you and had a plan for you, that he said, you know what, I'm going to give this person all these talents, all these gifts, all these abilities, I'm going to give them everything so they can use it all to accumulate all that stuff for themselves. Do you really think that was his purpose? Not a chance. Not a chance. Everything you have, every, your time, your talents, your treasures, every breath you take belongs to God. Everything I do belongs to God. It's all for his glory. Everything he's given you is for his glory. It is not for you to accumulate for yourself and then decide kind of like, what pittance should I give back to God? I don't mean to be offensive. I really don't. I just love you so much. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. And you know in your heart that God is not sitting up in heaven, okay, giving us all that we have so we can somehow just, meh. I'll give him the scraps off my table. He wants more than the scraps off your table. I'm not talking about money here. I'm talking about life. He wants more. It says, in the, it says in Romans to offer up, listen to this words, offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. For this is our spiritual act of worship. I worship God when I go to work, not just at church. If you go, I used to work for Exxon. I worshiped God at Exxon. I served God. I wasn't in a secular job. I was in a sacred place serving God at Exxon. When I said, you need any more oil? When I cleaned up the cigarette butts and cleaned the oil off the island, I was doing it all to the glory of God. I, didn't worry, I, didn't, I never lived in a secular realm. I was in a sacred realm. I wasn't doing anything sinful. So therefore, by def- definition, I was doing something sacred, and I was serving my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God says, I wanted oil. All. Everything means everything. When Jesus reached, went talked to the rich young ruler, right? Comes up to the rich young ruler and the guy says, well, how can I have eternal life? And, he, and Jesus says, well, do this. And that. he's like, oh, I've done all of that. But then Jesus, knowing exactly where his heart was, looks at the guy and says, I want you to give up everything. I want you to sell everything you have and come and follow me. Do you really think Jesus cares if you and I, if we sell everything we have? Do we have to sell everything we have to have eternal life, to have salvation? Absolutely not. 
But Jesus knew something. He knew for that person at that time, commitment meant you have to sell everything you have and come and follow me because he knew in his heart his, that that guy's stuff was more important than God. His stuff was more important than God. He's not saying to you and to me, sell your house tomorrow, sell your cars, get rid of your dog, you know what I mean? Get what you can for Fluffy and come and follow me. You know what I'm saying? That's not what he's saying. But if Fluffy was more important than Jesus, Fluffy'd have to go, right? Fluffy would have to go. It's an, listen, it is an attitude of the heart. It's an attitude of the heart. That's what Jesus is looking for, an attitude of the heart. He's saying you need to be willing. You need to be, I, I want you guys to have this. I want you to live nicely. I want you to have, I'm not saying you know, sell it all, but for some of you, it may be at some point, sell it all and come and follow me. It may be give up this thing that you have such an attachment to because it's standing in the way of your relationship with me. I want to do so much more with you. You need to give these things up in order to follow me. I don't know what it is for you, but I know Jesus is saying we need to give those things up. In the Greek, it's translated give up, but it, all, it's, it can also be translated to, to renounce. Jesus is saying you need to be willing to renounce. You need to be willing to let go of anything that interferes with following me faithfully and completely. Anything in your life that interferes with following me wholeheartedly, completely and faithfully, you need to give it up. In verse 34, it continues, salt is good, but not if it loses its saltiness. How can it be made salty again? If it, 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 is, it is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile, it is thrown out. Jesus often uses salt in figurative ways because of the high value that it, was, that it had in the place of people in the ancient world. He uses the term salt here. Salt was used as a fertilizer, as a preservative, as, as something that you could use to, to, to flavor things. So salt... Salt was used in this case to represent a person's commitment to Jesus Christ. If a person's commitment to Jesus Christ was wholehearted, then it was called good salt. It was, he said it's good salt. The salt is good. Your life then be, has, has a meaningful, purposeful existence. You're, the, you're good salt. Why? Because you're 100% committed to me. You know, pure, the salt in Jesus' day was not as pure as the salt as, that we have right now. And the salt could lose, in a sense, its saltiness. So it could lose its saltiness. And, and if that happened, it, the salt kept the appearance of what salt looks like, but it lost, it lost its original benefits. In Jesus' words, he says, it is, it is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Jesus is saying that people who follow him without total commitment okay, have lost their saltiness. He says, they can claim to be my followers, but they're not. You may, they may look like, you know, people walk around and you're like, wait a second, you scratch your head. This person's claiming to be a believer in Jesus Christ, but man, they don't live like it at all. Now, you can't say they're not Christians. You can lovingly maybe point some things out. But Jesus is saying here, you know, you may look like a follower of mine, but you're not. He's talking about people who are just dabbling in Christianity. One foot over here, one foot over there. They like the fellowship. They like the connectedness. They like the, what, it, what it, how it makes them feel. But they're just kind of dabbling and they're not committed. They're, these are the people who give him kind of one day a week, if that, let's be honest. And the other six days are theirs. We become, the church, people, Christians in general, have become good negotiators. 
They become great negotiators. God, I'll give you my family because my family is struggling right now. I'll give you my family, but I won't give you my money. I'll, I'll give you a cursing. I don't, I don't curse as much anymore, but I'm not going to give up telling those rude jokes. Because my friends, you know, in the office, they really like those rude jokes. So I'll, I'll, I'll give that, but I won't, I won't give these other things up. Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this up, but I'm not going to give that up. You know, we start negotiating. If you're a student, you know, I'm going to go to youth group, but I'm still going to party. Because I want to go to youth group. It makes me feel good. I like to go to Mexico. I like to do these things. But the reality is I'm popular. In order to be popular, I still have to party with my friends. So I'm going to keep doing the Christian thing, which is really cool because I like Jesus. But I also want to keep partying because I like my friends. And so I'm going to go to youth group, but I'm also going to party. And so we negotiate with God. We tell him, I'll give you this, but I won't give you that. Jesus concludes in verse 35 by saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He's saying, I want you to hear this. I want you all to hear this. I know it's difficult, but I need you to make a decision. That's what Jesus is saying. I need you to hear this. I need you to make a decision. You need to take a stand. You need to choose. You need to stand on something. His point is, this, Jesus is saying, this, 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 this material I'm giving you, this teaching is difficult. I'm sorry, this teaching is really not difficult to understand, but it is difficult to accept. That's what he's saying. A third grader in this room can understand what I'm saying right now. Jesus' point is, if you have ears to hear, you need to hear. This is not difficult to understand, but it is difficult to accept. Have you ever noticed that Jesus calls us to give the very thing that we love the most, that we desire the most? you ever notice that? you ever wonder why? It's because those very things, my friends, are what keep us from having a deep, intimate relationship with God. They're what's keeping you many times in your addictive habits. They're what's keeping you from growing your relationship with Christ. And he's saying, if there's something more important than me, you have to give it up. What I want is your heart. I want you to be willing to give it up. I don't know what that is for you. Only you know what that is for you. But you need to ask yourself this morning, what is it that I have in my life right now that is more important than my relationship with God that I'm really not willing to give up? What is it for you? That is the question each one of us needs to answer. For those who are not Christians this morning, what Jesus is saying to you is that you need to count the cost before you make the choice. One of the reasons I don't have an altar call every Sunday morning, which some people would like me to do, I don't get a lot of trouble for that, but some people would like me to do that. The reason I don't do it every single Sunday is I believe I want to, what you win people with is what you win them to. When we go through a series, I want to be able to lay out what my, the expectations of the Word of God is, and then at some point in that series, or maybe a few times in that series, I'm going to call people to a choice, to a commitment in Jesus Christ. But my friends, if you're not a believer right now, you need to count the cost before you make the choice. Because God, here's the thing. Once you become a true believer in Jesus Christ, there's nothing that God can't do through you. There is no, there is no dream too big or mountain too high for God to overcome. God wants to use you in a powerful way, but he can't use you if you make some choice by clicking your heels together three times and walking down an aisle and saying that's the end of it. He can't use you unless there's a total and utter commitment to him. Now, we're not, none of us are perfect. We're all becoming more like Christ. Understand that. I raise my hand. I'm not there. 
But the desire, it's the desire he's looking for. It's the heart he's looking for. And when we give him our heart, there is nothing he can't do in our lives. There's nothing he can't overcome in your life. Past experiences, whatever it is, challenges you've been through, there's nothing he can't do. For those of you who are most of the people in this room who are followers of Jesus Christ, let us live up to the calling that we've already received. That's what God wants for us this morning. Jesus is saying, live up to, I want you to live up to the calling you've already received. There is so much more I want to pour into your life. There's so much more I want to teach you. There's so many other places I want you to go. There's so many other things I want you to do, but you can't get there because this is in your way. I don't know what that is for you, but it's in your way. And Jesus is saying, if you want to be a follower of mine, I want you to lay those things aside. I want you to give them up. Whatever it is, I want you to sell it. I want you to get rid of it. I want you to give it up because it's in the way of the life that I have planned for you. I have so much more to offer. But my friends, if we're going to live that kind of life, we need to live up to the calling that we've already received. And then the world will see a group of people that are on fire a group of people that, that, have no, that have no obstacles in their way, a group of people who are willing to give up anything for Christ, the world will look at that and say, that, that is what I need. That is what I desire. In this culture where everything's so blah, 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 wishy-washy, people are looking for truth, for someone to come and stand up and say, this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad, this is truth. They're looking for truth. And God is saying to each one of us, live up to, live up to that which you've already received You have the power. You just need to claim it. You need to own it by putting aside all these other things and focusing your your commitment, your loyalty on me. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time that we can spend together. Thank you, Lord, for the challenge you give us in your word. Thank you, Lord God, that we know the Bible is true because you don't tell us things that we want to hear. You don't tickle our ears. Father, we know it's true because it goes against our earthly nature. You call us to do things that are not comfortable. You call us to do things that are against our own desires. And Father, we know that you love us and that you want to use us in a powerful way. So Lord God, we all pray this morning that we would offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. May that be our spiritual act of worship. May you use us in such a powerful way that no person in this room or no person around this community will be able to overlook the power that you you have in our lives, the things that you're doing in our lives. They will be drawn to you in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Have a great week.